Good evening. This is Ryan Underwood in the studio with From the Frontline. Tonight, our topic deals with identifying and evaluating the worst presidents in history. We are joined in the studio by Dr. Peter Hammond. Welcome, Dr. Hammond. Thank you. A recent prejudice poll places populist presidential candidate Donald Trump amongst the worst presidents in American history. Recently, CNN, otherwise called Communist News Network, announced that Donald Trump was one of the worst presidents America has ever had, and that Abraham Lincoln was one of the best. Bizarrely, Obama and Clinton were listed amongst the better presidents, and Jimmy Carter was somewhere in the middle. How is it possible for any study to come to such bizarre conclusions? Well, this is an obviously biased and partisan uh, report, and the criteria utilized in this very prejudiced study makes it practically worthless, because what on earth is the criteria? It couldn't possibly be uh, on the basis of, did this person pursue a peaceful agenda? Because by that account, uh, you would say, Donald Trump was one of the best presidents because he's the only president in about the last hundred years who hasn't launched a new war. Maybe that's why they hate him. Uh, he certainly didn't serve the military-industrial complex in that sense. If it's about the economy, well, uh, Donald Trump built up the economy to a better state and made America energy independent. So, again, if you looked at it from an economic point of view, he would have been amongst the best, if not the best. If you looked at it from a point of view of being a peacemaker, he would definitely be... Uh, one of the very best, because who expected there to be any kind of peace with North Korea? In the run-up to the 2016 elections, there was a lot of predictions that we are going to be at war as a nuclear war with North Korea very soon. And that was the way his competition, Hillary Clinton, was talking. We're going to be at war with North Korea. And then suddenly, you have Donald Trump able to make peace with and meet with the head of North Korea, something nobody thought was possible. He should have got a Nobel Peace Prize for that. Interestingly, they only seem to give Nobel Peace Prizes to uh, murderers and terrorists, um, as seen in the fact that uh, Yasser Arafat got a Nobel Peace Prize, and um, of course so did Nelson Mandela. And you look at uh, Obama, who didn't actually do a thing yet. He was only just became president, I think a few days after becoming president. He got the Nobel Peace Prize, apparently for no other reason than being black. And he then went on to launch who knows how many wars. He bombed eight different countries, killed thousands of collateral damaged civilians in his drone attacks. I think he's the greatest drone attack assassin in history. Nobody ordered more drone assassinations than Obama, yet he got a peace prize, mind you, before the fact, but still. So uh, I don't know what the criteria was, but according to US News or Useless News, which compiled its 10 worst presidents ratings, the average of president scores from three separate metrics and C-SPAN's 2021 Presidential Historian Survey, whatever that means, Siena College's Presidential Expert Poll, I don't know what um, qualifies an expert, I think an expert is uh, a drip of water, uh, a, a spurt is a drip of water and an X is a has-been, so the experts are maybe drips under great pressure who has-beens. So the experts um, had a metric, and then the Presidential Greatness Rankings conducted by professors of the universities of Houston and Boise State University. Shame on those universities, if that's what they call professors. Reminds you of professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. So how is it possible to come up with such bizarre conclusions? Perhaps if you're taking cocaine and you're uh, watching no end of Hollywood garbage, 
um, and perhaps uh, if one's listening to the hip-hop rap and uh, noise that masquerades as music today, it might make sense. But I think for any normal human being who recognizes only two genders, this is about as bizarre a poll as I could imagine. I couldn't imagine a poll on American presence that was more out of sync with reality. They took one of the worst presents, made them the best, and they took one of the best presents, made them the worst. And everything in between, they also got pretty much upside down. You know, when they've got people like Obama ranked as the 10th best president ever, above Ronald Reagan and so on, mind you. And when they've got people like Eisenhower in one of the top five, and uh, Truman, and you think, you know, those were, well, Eisenhower you could call a war criminal. He killed more prisoners of war than probably any other leader in history. Mind you, that was before he became president, to be fair. Uh, he also, as president, ordered the overthrow of who knows how many countries in South America and uh, famously uh, destabilized the elected government of Iran, um, who was an American ally, and had them overthrown because they were trying to tax an American oil company, and the oil company uh, managed to speak to President Eisenhower, who mobilized the CIA with the British MI6 to overthrow the elected government of Iran starting a long, lifelong distrust of America by the Iranians, and you can't blame them, actually, the way they've been treated. So Eisenhower's actually one of the worst presidents out there, and the book Other Losses and Eisenhower's Death Camps document uh, what a war criminal he was, as America's greatest general of the Second World War, General George Patton, said, he said, I killed Germans in battle, uh, Eisenhower killed them as prisoners of war. And... Uh, uh, I, Patton also came to the conclusion we were on the wrong side, we were fighting the wrong enemy. Germany is never our enemy and Soviets were never our friends and we should keep mos marching to Moscow. So obviously he was not happy with Eisenhower. It seems Eisenhower gave the order to get rid of um, General Patton and General Patton was certainly assassinated. And anyone who hasn't seen the book uh, Target Patton uh, by Wilcox, that's an excellent book documenting the assassination by the OSS, the Officer's Secret Service, which doubtless would have taken orders from either the American president, who at that stage was Truman. But what can he say about presidents who murder their own people or murder prisoners of war in violation of the Geneva Convention? So to have them up in the top, I've got to say this is a very bizarre conclusion, and this is being bandied around media all over the world, and CNN is just beaming away saying, you know, according to this expert uh, study, expert study by who, um, um, Obama is uh, one of the best presidents and Lincoln is the very best. He's number one. And the worst presence in American history was Donald Trump. So uh, with those kind of mentalities, I think you've got to say this is bizarre and the people are out of touch with reality. And this is about as prejudiced a poll and about as biased a study as it's possible to have. Having traveled widely and having met several heads of state, how would you evaluate the success or failure of a leader? Well, um, I would say, first of all, what is the economy like? What is the uh, spiritual life of the country like? And uh, one head of state that I met was President P.W. Butter, and he's the last leader in South Africa's history to call for National Day of Prayer and Repentance. In fact, I was a new Christian, which was 1978, and I remember uh, the leader of South Africa at that stage, P.W. Butter, issuing an, a command all citizens must treat 
this next day as a day of humiliation and repentance before God and a day of prayer. And everyone is instructed to use their lunchtime to move immediately to the closest church to them for prayer. I was working at Oxford University Press at the time in downtown Cape Town, 1978, and as lunchtime came, I joined the throngs of people just pouring into the churches. Closest church to me was the Mudderkirk, the Mother Church, which Andrew Murray had once preached at. It's a monument to him outside. And the church was packed to overflowing, absolutely overflowing. People on their knees, people were crying out to God. And English, Afrikaans, not all Dutch form church people, even though it was a Dutch form church here, but you all had to go to the closest church. And the entire country was literally on its knees because of the drought and the head of state had called us to prayer and repentance. Now, sadly, uh, well, wonderfully sad at that point, the heavens opened two days later and the country was just covered. It was incredible as a new Christian to see this kind of, you know, I came from a country that was quite secular and to be suddenly in a country that was very God-fearing and South Africa was so God-fearing under P.W. Butter on Sunday it was the Lord's Day. No shops were open. No cinemas were open. Sunday was a day of church, a day of rest, a day for the family, in accordance with law, in accordance with the scriptures. When I entered into the South African Army, I was given a Bible which had a message from the Minister of Defense, who was also the Prime Minister at that time, P.W. Butter, saying, this is the most important inst- uh, equipment you will be given. You must have this with you at all times. This is the Word of God. This is the sword, the Spirit, and a great message. And we were expected to be studying our Bibles every morning and every night, and there were times set aside for that in the military as part of our uh, discipline. And not only that, but we had under his presidency, the Ministry of Education had in the front of it the Transvaal Education Department's curriculum. This curriculum is designed to bring every student into a personal knowledge of Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Now, uh, when you think of that, I mean, there's a God-fearing leader and uh, a man who lived a humble life and P.W. Butter was such a principled man. We friends with his daughter, Razon, and his son-in-law, who is also his bodyguard at one time, uh, Colonel Skalk who, as a policeman, had been tasked to protect the president and help bring out the book Under Fire in South Africa, where Skalk points out in the years that he worked as a close personal protection to the president, he never heard a bad word, never heard uh, any swear words, any harsh, unkind words. He said, P.W. Butch was a gentleman, he was a Christian, and he was so principled, he would not use the state vehicle, the state armoured Mercedes-Benz vehicle, for going to church or going to the farm or going riding or for anything personal. He insisted on driving his own car and paying for his own petrol if it was not for state business. He would only use the state car for state business. And uh, you just think, where do you find principled people like that? Um, also, the opportunity of meeting uh, regularly uh, Ian Smith, the last Prime Minister of Rhodesia. Honourable man, principled man, a man who lived a humble life, a man who never had bodyguards around him. Even when I met him during the war in Rhodesia, I was a teenage boy and I heard the Prime Minister's coming to the Bulawayo Club. And I stood outside the Bulawayo Club, which my father ran, expecting to see some impressive entourage. I don't know what I was thinking. Maybe I was thinking, you know, Coldstream guards and some parade like outside Buckingham Palace. But along came a beat up old Peugeot 404, outstepped the Prime Minister. I plainly knew him, pictures on the wall at school and all this. And uh, I looked around, there wasn't a bodyguard, there wasn't an aide camp there wasn't a chauffeur, there wasn't a policeman in sight, nowhere in the street. He walked up to me, he stroked my cat, Tim, who was sitting on the wall, smiled at me and walked up and into the doors of the Bulawayo Club. And 
I was just so impressed by that. And when I met him years later, and he summoned me to come to meet him uh, because he'd heard about these crazy Rhodesians doing strange things in communist Mozambique and war zones and so on. So he summoned me, no security again. His gate was open, his front door was open, uh, just as Rhodesian Ridgeback dog lying over the uh, the hearth of the, the stoop there. And uh, that was about the only security I could see was one of his two Rhodesian Ridgeback dogs. He made the tea um, and uh, he was... Uh, such a wonderfully open man and as he was explaining to me how to infiltrate and exfiltrate Mozambique safely I was thinking what does a politician know about that but then I realized later after reading his book he fought all six years of the Second World War he was in the Royal Rhodesian Air Force he was shot down over uh, northern Italy he spent years uh, five months behind enemy lines uh, with, working with the partisans he was he hiked over the Alps in his uh, Socks, as he said, he foolishly took off his boots one night and he couldn't put them back on next morning. They'd frozen solid and he couldn't uh, make them fit his feet anymore. So he had to walk barefoot or in his socks uh, over the Alps uh, to reach France and his forces after D-Day. But P.W. Bush, I mean, um, Ian Smith, uh, when I asked him why it was that he didn't use security during the war, uh, he said, I'm a lifelong Presbyterian, I fear God. What do I have to fear? I've survived Second World War. And then um, he uh, said he often chased away security from independence, which is the name of the promises residence in Rhodesia. There wouldn't be a cook in the kitchen or a guard at the gate, not a policeman anywhere around. He said he and his wife, Janet, couldn't bear being fussed over and didn't like people fussing around him. He had break the laws of his own government, going traveling down to his farm at Saluque in the middle of the country during the war in violation of his own laws that you had to travel in convoy. And he didn't wait for the convoy. He sometimes was impatient and just drove off down the road because the man feared God. He didn't fear man. Now, a few years later, I was in Harare and saw one of the worst leaders uh, that Zimbabwe ever had, and that's Mugabe. Robert Mugabe would travel every day to work and back um, with an eight, eight motorbike outriders, several um, Vehicles packed full of gooks with RPGs, uh, rocket launchers and machine guns, PKMs and so on. And uh, they'd shoot anyone who didn't stop. The sirens would be going police cars in front and behind, truckloads of terrorists behind. And Mugabe expected everyone to stop because the president was driving down the road. Now, I've got a picture of Ian Smith cycling to work on a bicycle. Um, I don't know how many heads of state would cycle to work, and that's during a war. And he um, was so fearless, so... I've met some of the best and some of the worst, and uh, I've seen at close range, although it didn't shake his hand, Samora um, <clears throat> uh, Michel, the mass murdering dictator of Mozambique. And uh, I've managed to meet people like the president of Zambia, Levi Mwanawasa, uh, who let me read the Bible with him and pray with him. And he responded so well to the presentation of the gospel I gave him and accepted a Bible and a big Christian flag. He shortly after that was baptized, a Christian joined the local Baptist church, and uh, uh, Zambia was under him, a country that regularly had days of prayer and days of repentance. Sad to say, my father mentioned that during the Second World War, King George VI called for national or empire-wide day of prayer and repentance six times. So six times during the Second World War, the British monarch called the, all the people of the Commonwealth together for prayer and repentance. But sadly, not once since the Second World War. Friends in Australia said to me, 
that their government lost at a day of prayer called by the state back in the Second World War. Last one would have been 1945. Sadly, Queen Elizabeth, who should have known better, never called the nation to a day of prayer and repentance, which is sad. She gave a fairly consistent testimony of, of its faith in Christ in her Christmas and Easter speeches and so on. But why did she not call the nation to repentance and prayer? And I would say one of the ways you evaluate heads of state is, do they fear God and do they call their people to repentance and to prayer? And how much do they honor the laws of God? Well, I was brought up in a country where we had laws against abortion, against pornography, against um, all kinds of evils. We had uh, uh, Sabbath desecration was illegal. Sundays were protected. Gambling was illegal. Uh, growing up um, in countries where you have laws that honor the law of God made me take it for granted. But later on, we realized that's not normal. And that was something we should have been much more uh, grateful for. Who would you rate as the worst president in American history? Well, I've got an interesting story along that. Several years ago, when Barack Hussein Obama was president of America, I was speaker at a Biblical Worldview Youth Conference in Colorado at Summit Ministries. Well, a guest lecturer made the statement that Obama was the worst president in American history. Well, we were only two years into his reign at that stage, and so I commented he should consider damage caused by the foreign policy of Jimmy Carter's presidency. In four worthless years of Jimmy Carter's disastrous presidency, the U.S. State Department worked actively to betray 13 countries to communism. And this included the staunch American ally Nicaragua, betrayed into the hands of the communist Sandinista terrorists. And Rhodesia, my home country, betrayed into the hands of Robert Mugabe's Marxist Zanu terrorists. And that's not even mentioning the Shah of Iran, who is a fine ally of America in the Middle East, who is betrayed into the hands of the Ayatollah Khomeini's jihadist crazies. Well, we more than 40 years after uh, Jimmy Carter's worthless presidency, but the people of Zimbabwe and Iran are still stuck with the consequence of Jimmy Carter's treacherous foreign policy, still suffering. So um, I recommended, uh, you know, consider Jimmy Carter. How can you say Obama's the worst president? He's bad, but has he caused as much damage as Jimmy Carter? And uh, the verse that came to mind there for me was 2 Chronicles 19 verse 2. Should you help the wicked and love those who hate the Lord? Therefore, the wrath of the Lord is upon you. Well, while I was saying this, I felt a hand on my shoulder and I heard the voice of David Noble, the founder of Summit Ministries. Uh, David Noble, a good friend, and um, he said, Peter, you're wrong. In terms of damage done, consider the catastrophic consequences of Franklin Delano Roosevelt's foreign policy. He betrayed one third of the world's population into the hands of communist tyrants like Joseph Stalin. And you know, that made us all stop and think for a moment. It's true, in terms of actual damage done, um, Franklin Delano Roosevelt must stand as one of the worst presidents in all of history. But then someone from the back of the hall shouted out, and all started with Abraham Lincoln. And we stopped and turned around and thought, you know, he's got a strong point too, because Abraham Lincoln was actually uh, pretty disastrous. And when you start to think of the catastrophic war between the states, the northern aggression against the southern states um, was so bad and it centralized control. America moved from being a confederation where the United States was founded by people who spoke about the United States of America are. And after Lincoln became the United States of America is and moved from being the United States of America to effectively the United States of America where um, the federal government can regularly overrule the local governors and the local uh, legislatures in each sovereign state, which is not the way the founding fathers of America envisaged it. So 
uh, Lincoln was actually a bad president. Interesting that many presidents like Clinton and Obama say their favorite president is uh, Ab Abraham Lincoln. And by the way, you know who else has Abraham Lincoln as a favorite president? The Communist Party of the USA. Communist Party of America, if you've ever seen pictures of their rallies, they'll have a massive, massive, massive uh, icon, well, icon, what do you call it, like a Chairman Mao-sized picture of Abraham Lincoln. They'll have Lenin there, they'll have Marx there, yes, but, but Lincoln was their patron saint. And not just the American Communist Party, go to Cuba, and you find that the patron saint, the communists in Cuba is also Abraham Lincoln. They've got Abraham Lincoln Boulevard, they have Abraham Lincoln High School, and um, I've challenged a Cuban before saying, why would you have a capitalist like Abraham Lincoln as uh, your hero? And he said, he wasn't a capitalist, he was a comrade. And I think that's uh, pretty true. The communists know their own. And one of our good friends, George Grant, who wrote the forward to my book, The Greatest Century of Missions, George Grant from Tennessee wrote the book, uh, I should say, get, made the sermon, Lincoln and Lenin. You can go on Sermon Audio and listen to it. Just look for Lincoln and Lenin by George Grant. And George Grant points out that the similarities between Abraham Lincoln and Vladimir Lenin are huge. They're both legal students who were absolute failures in life, who failed at every single thing they ever did until they became effective dictators of their countries. And just as Lincoln saved the Union, so uh, Lenin saved the Soviet Union. And as Lincoln waged a war against the South, so did um, Lenin wage a war against the South. They didn't call it a civil war in, America, uh, in Russia, but it was a civil war effectively as the Bolsheviks waged war to suppress the country and to reverse the independence that the German army had won for Ukraine in the First World War by the Brest-Litovsk Treaty. And they waged war against Ukraine and other southern countries of what was the Russian Empire, which became the Soviet Union, such as Georgia and Armenia. And uh, so uh, very much, you could say, Lincoln and Lenin both saved the Union and they were both idolized by their people. Uh, Lincoln in this temple... You go in Washington Mall, and it's quite a shock. I've walked the whole way down to Washington Mall with my children, and when we got into the Lincoln Memorial, um, it's up big and bold in marble up there. In this temple, that's the words, in this temple, as in the hearts of her people, for whom he saved the Union, is enshrined forever. The memory of Abraham Lincoln now forever saved um, hearts, temple, I mean, these are the words of religion. And this monument of Abraham Lincoln is out of all proportions. You know, the average monument that you get in Europe is two and a half to three times the size of a normal human being. But this is more like the um, pharaohs, 12, 20 times the size of, of a normal person. And he's sitting not on a chair, but on a throne. And it's not just a normal throne. It's a Roman imperial throne. And it even has the fascist symbols on the uh, where his hands are gripped on the sides of this this throne, um, which is you know, the the different axes bound together, which is the symbol of the uh, imperial Roman uh, Senate. And uh, in fact, that was a symbol on all of Mussolini's planes as well. So, in 1930s, they built this temple to Abraham Lincoln with these fascist symbols at a time when communism was idolizing Vladimir Lenin with his own mausoleum, like an Egyptian pyramid-like tomb that people would come past and pay their respects to their god, dead, yes, but he was the god, that they would have their troops pass through, the Red Army would march in front of Lenin's tomb, and the Politburo of the Soviet Union would stand on top of this mausoleum, which effectively is, they're standing over the bones of Lenin, uh, 
observing the armies of Satan, the Red Army, the commissars, the priests of Satan, and the Red Army was really the focal point of evil at that stage. And I haven't done justice to it. You've got to listen to the whole sermon by George Grant, Lincoln and Lenin. There's a lot of similarities, but I've got books like Lenin's Marxists, which points out that uh, the Republican Party started by uh, Abraham Lincoln was effectively a communist party initially, which is why they get the red tie. People might be confused saying, why do the conservatives today have the red tie and the radical Democrat Marxists have the blue tie? You know, it should be the other way around. Well, parties change. People don't evolve, but uh, apparently parties do. And so um, when you just look at the history of, of the Republican Party, they start out very, very radical and revolutionary. And the evidence of this is that the party was built up by 48ers. In 1848, there'd been revolutions all over uh, Europe. And people might know that the Marxist Manifesto was written in 1848. And so the 48ers were Marxist revolutionaries who tried to overthrow every government in Europe. And they failed in every case. And many of them, of course, were hung, guillotined, shot, or whatever was done in those places at that time. And the survivors fled to America across the Atlantic to get away from justice for the murders and arson and damage they'd done in, in Europe. And so the 48ers got conscripted into the Republican Party, and many of the worst of the Union forces generals who performed some of the worst atrocities against the citizens of the South, who they saw as bourgeois, land-owning, uh, capitalist swine who deserved to be exterminated when they twisted Marxist minds. The 48ers were the ones who committed huge amounts of atrocities uh, in the South during the uh, war between the states, and Marx, uh, Lincoln's Marxist documents it. And the fact that Abraham Lincoln never fired or prosecuted any of his war criminal generals, who, despite what they did, running concentration camps, destroying churches, uh, desecrating churches, uh, locking up even women and children to concentration camps, and hideous things done, the scorched earth, uh, Sherman's Motsu, Georgia, and everything else. These people were not disciplined, and I think it was well said by one of the finest generals of all time, Robert E. Lee said, any army that targets civilians is no army at all. And in fact, uh, that's so valid and so true. So, yes, um, I would say, without a shadow of a doubt, um, I would I would put Franklin Delano Roosevelt as the worst president ever, but I'd put shortly behind him um, Abraham Lincoln and uh, probably Woodrow Wilson too. Bearing in mind Woodrow Wilson is the president who uh, promised Americans he would keep them out of the war, and he went ran on a presidential campaign in 1916 on he kept us out of the war, and then the moment he got into power he got America into the war. Uh, he also is the one who started the federal income tax and launched the so-called uh, Federal Reserve Bank, which is not a bank. It has no reserves and it's not federal. It's effectively a Rothschild, privately owned a bank in the hands of the Sabbatans who charge interest to the American taxpayers for the money they lend to the American government. So the American government just printing money to make it easy to exchange uh, goods and services. Uh, they gave the right to this private entity owned effectively by the Rothschilds and the Sabbatian occultic ilt uh, to lend money to the government of America at interest. And so all the money they're printing is created out of nothing. I mean, it's basically counterfeiting because there's no gold or silver to back it. They create it out of thin air. But while the money is not real, the uh, the interest that's got to be paid in it is very real. And that's why 
our good friend Stephen Mitford Goodson wrote his book, A History of Central Banking and the Enslavements of Mankind, where he documents that the wars of the last two centuries have been overwhelmingly bankers' wars, organized by what we now know as the military-industrial complex, but funded by these so-called uh, central banks, which are really about the worst thing that's ever happened in human economics and society. Again, uh, we wouldn't have all these wars if it wasn't for all these banks. So Woodrow Wilson must rate as one of the worst presidents ever. Not only did he get America involved in a war, violating your first president's principle of beware of entangling alliances and stay out of, Ameri uh, out of Europe's wars, uh, but uh, Woodrow Wilson got the people into this Inland Revenue Service federal taxation. He also was a major founder of the League of Nations, even though the American Congress never did a better day's work than when they refused to enter the League of Nations, which was a very worthless globalist bunch. Uh, but he was also one of the authors of the Versailles Treaty, which has to get the prizes, the worst treaty in the history of mankind. It guaranteed the Second World War it was most unjust, and it created such uh, injustice that made the Second World War absolutely inevitable. So I would put at, as the worst presidents in American history, the ones they've put as the best. I would put uh, Lincoln, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, and uh, Woodrow Wilson as the absolute worst presidents America ever had. Although, as someone from Rhodesia whose country is betrayed by Jimmy Carter, I'd have to put Jimmy Carter up there as one of the five worst presidents of all time in America. I'm sure many people who suffered under Obama would want to put him in there. Interestingly enough, this new um, CNN poll that they've announced does not mention Biden. Uh, Biden doesn't get in there at all. Um, and they said it's too early to evaluate his legacy. Well, I don't think it's too early to evaluate his legacy. Biden must be the dumbest president ever, although his vice president is certainly a um, good competition. You know, they often say that the vice president is the country's insurance policy, that, uh, uh, you know, if the president dies in office, that they've got insurance policy, someone to seamlessly take over. It's been well said that Kamala Harris is not America's insurance policy, it's Biden's insurance policy. Only a vice president so much worse than him could enable him to still be in power. He would have been impeached long ago. He'd be out of office for who knows how many different crimes. Everyone who lives in America knows the economy is infinitely worse under Biden than it was under uh, Donald Trump's very um, enlightened presidency. Under Donald Trump, I think the price per gallon of for gas was, it was under $2 a, a gallon. And under Biden, it's hit five and sometimes up to six and seven dollars a gallon if you're in California. And here, Donald Trump had the most secure border in American history, and he had the lowest unemployment and uh, the best employment rates for minorities and a whole lot of very, very good things you could have said about it. The most secure border, energy independent, and no new wars. So, in fact, he is winding down um, the wars very effectively that had been started by his predecessors. And... America was in a state of not at war in Afghanistan, but only in support and training for the Afghan government. And not a single American had been killed in the previous two years under uh, Donald Trump's uh, uh, policies. And how Biden turned what had been something of a victory into a catastrophic collapse and defeat. Biden should be rated as one of the very worst presidents in American history. Although in terms of damage done, um, Yes, Biden was part of the Obama government's overthrowing of the stable American government, uh, stable Ukrainian government in 2014, and he was part of the very corrupt regime in Ukraine. 
and that war may still lead to a third world war. So uh, uh, Biden's damage might still be a lot worse than it is now. But as things stand right now, it's still to say Franklin Delano Roosevelt's done the most damage of any American president. And of course, it did start with Abraham Lincoln, who turned America from a confederation of states into a state which is more centralized. Uh, it certainly isn't the confederation that your founding fathers had in mind uh, when they founded America in 1776. Uh, so, yes, the worst president in American history. Um, I've got to say a few more things about Franklin Delano Roosevelt. I've been a missionary to persecute church now for over 40 years, and um, the people in Eastern Europe, the persecute church that I fellowshiped with, were no fans of FDR. And they pointed out that the lend-lease technology transfer of vast quantities of high-tech weaponry, tens of thousands of tanks and aircraft, and hundreds of thousands of trucks and jeeps, and billions of rounds of ammunition, and millions of, of shells for artillery, and you talk about, in, a, in a real terms, at that stage, it was billions of dollars, but in modern terms, it would be trillions of dollars worth of weaponry uh, that was shipped into the Soviet Union, saving the most bloodthirsty, mass-murdering, antichrist dictatorship in history. Has got to rank FDR as one of the very worst leaders in history. And when I was involved in Bible smuggling behind the Iron Curtain, I quickly learned that Yalta is a swear word amongst Christians of Eastern Europe because it was at Yalta that Stalin, Churchill, and Franklin Delano Roosevelt redrew the map of Europe to condemn Latvia, Lithuania, Estonia, Ukraine, Poland, East Germany, Czechoslovakia, Hungary, Romania, Bulgaria, Yugoslavia, and Albania into communist domination and oppression. And there was a secret agreement at Yalta, codenamed Operation Kielhall, which condemned millions of Russian and Ukrainians living in Western Europe to be forced, literally at gunpoint and at bayonet point, by the Allies, forced into the hands of the Soviet NKVD. And this included multitudes of unfortunate women and children who had never lived in Russia. They were born in Western Europe. Their parents had fled the Bolshevik Revolution of 1917. And yet even these descendants of Russians living in Western Europe were forced against their will. I mean, how is this for a war for freedom and democracy? Forced at gunpoint into the hands of the NKVD while mothers uh, through their babies, even into the icy waters. They were so afraid of them being brought up as atheists in the Soviet Union. I mean, they were trying to celebrate the Lord's Supper um, according to Orthodox Christian way in, in Austria. And then came the British troops beating the people over the heads with rifle butts, sticking them with bayonets and forcing them, herding them like cattle across the river Danube into the hands of the Soviets. Absolutely hideous. I was just 15 years old when I read the book the Last Secret, which is um, a documentation of Operation Killhall. It had been sealed for 30 years, and the truth only came out in 1975, what we had done. I mean, this is a war for freedom and democracy, they said. And uh, you force millions of East European Christians into the hands of the murderous Bolsheviks. Many tens of thousands were shot immediately. Most ended up as slave labor in the Arctic hellholes of the Soviet Gulag concentration camps in Siberia. Well, my Polish friends added that Franklin Delano Roosevelt and Churchill conspired to assassinate their Prime Minister in exile, the Polish commander General Sikorsky. Wrocław uh, Sikorsky and his daughter, Sophie, and the high command of Poland were all killed in a mysterious plane crash in which only the pilot survived. Normally in an accident, the pilot's the first to die, just by the nature of aerodynamics and, you know, the front of the aircraft comes off worst. But somehow the pilot's the only survivor Everybody else in the plane died. 
and that was entire Polish high command. And the fact that communications between the United States President Franklin Roosevelt and the British Prime Minister Winston Churchill during June and July 1943 are still sealed as highly secret has added to the suspicion that the Polish leader was um, removed, assassinated because of his demands for independent international investigations into the brutal Katyn massacre where tens of thousands of Polish officers and NCOs, the entire leadership, all the elite most educated people of Poland and their sons wiped out by their Soviet allies on Stalin's order. So 2 Peter 2.19 says, while they promise them liberty, they themselves are slaves of corruption. And so plainly, without a shadow of a doubt, uh, Franklin Roosevelt's got to be one of the worst presidents uh, in living memory of uh, what uh, he did to the poor Christians of Eastern Europe. And this has been well documented by uh, one of the best American presidents, who, by the way, is rated as one of the worst, according to this stupid CNN C-SPAN poll, and that's Herbert Hoover wrote a magnum opus, Freedom Betrayed, The Secret History of World War II and Its Aftermath, where he documented uh, the treachery of Franklin Delano Roosevelt in, in instigating the war. Many people think America got sucked into a war that was not of their making, but uh, Herbert Hoover, who was president of America, remember, Herbert Hoover documented that actually the American State Department put up Poland to not give back the German city of Danzig to the Germans, even though it was 96% German. Or the other areas, the millions of Germans were living under Polish control and were being badly abused too. And the Polish government was a military dictatorship, which was very similar in its ethos to the National Socialist government of uh, Germany at that stage, and in fact would have been natural allies, and Germany wanted Poland as an ally against the Soviet Union, the real communist threat. But the Americans bribed and blackmailed and cajoled the Poles to not cooperate with their natural neighbor and ally, Germany, um, against the Soviet enemy. And uh, America did worse than that. They put up the British government to put up a war guarantee for Poland, which guaranteed war. Never in the history of Britain had they ever given a war guarantee to anyone before or since. Poland had never been an ally of Britain before that point. They asked nothing in return from Poland either. It was bizarre, it was unprecedented, and Herbert Hoover said one of the most inexplicably stupid decisions ever made in politics in all of history, certainly in British history, and many British historians agree as well. Pat Buchanan agrees in his book um, Churchill, Hitler and the Unnecessary War, How Britain Lost Her Empire and the West Lost the World, which is another great book documenting what a disastrous, catastrophic leader Franklin Delano Roosevelt was, and uh, Herbert Hoover in his book Freedom Betrayed documents how America put both Britain and France up to getting involved in the war. And this was ostensibly to help Poland. But at the end of the war, quite aside from the fact that they had turned their eyes when their Russian ally murdered the Polish officers and the entire leadership elite of Poland. Uh, not only that, but then they conspired to murder. And there's not much doubt that MI6, with the cooperation of the Americans, murdered General Sikorsky in Gibraltar on the 4th of July, 1943. So, uh, yes, you can understand why our friends in Eastern Europe, Christians, are not impressed with a score like this, which rates FDR as one of the best presidents America have had and uh, rate, rate someone like Trump, who didn't start a war, as one of the worst. As far as Russia goes, who would you rate as the worst leader and the best leader? in the last century in Russia? Well, I think that's an easy one to answer. Without a shadow of a doubt, Joseph Stalin was the worst leader, what Franklin Delano Roosevelt called Uncle Joe. And uh, 
Can you believe that Winston Churchill actually apologized to Stalin for saying bad things about communism when he called it the plague bacillus, the bubonic plague of politics? And he, in 1942, when he met Joseph Stalin personally, he said, can you forgive me for what I said? And Joseph Stalin, this atheist mass-murdering dictator who had the blood of about 36 million people um, at that stage uh, he was responsible for. And Joseph Stalin said, it's not for me to forgive, it's for God to forgive. I mean, can you imagine such a stupid conversation. Churchill, the promise of Britain, requesting to be forgiven by Joseph Stalin, the most antichrist, atheist, mass-murdering thug in all of history. So Joseph Stalin's definitely the worst, and I'd say Lenin comes shortly behind him, but the best leader of the last century. Now, I'm very pro the Tsar, but sadly, I don't think, while Tsar Nicholas was a saint and a good man, I don't think he can say he's the best leader Russia had in the last century. Because if he was a better leader, he might have been able to prevent the Bolsheviks seizing power, even though he was victim of a lot of treachery. So I'd say that um, there's no doubt that Vladimir Putin is the best leader that Russia's had in the last century, and there's no question about that. Yeltsin was a weak leader, and under Yeltsin, the country was breaking apart and going into a, a kind of run by a Russian mafia, which was ex-KGBs running the show, the oligarchs and so on. So Putin has done a lot of good. He has brought the country back to God. He's brought. He's done restitution to the churches. Many of the Orthodox Christians speak very well of him because under him, they have rebuilt hundreds of churches. And bear in mind, under Stalin, Russia went from 50,000 church buildings to less than 200. Not even 200 churches in the whole of the Soviet Union opened 1941. But now there's over 30,000 Russian Orthodox churches alone, many of which are being funded by the Russian government as restitution for the many churches destroyed by the Soviet Union. Putin's taken out the commissars and he's put in chaplains, Russian Orthodox priests as chaplains in the military, no longer have the red flag with a hammer and sickle. They have the beautiful old Russian flag, but not only the beautiful Russian flag, uh, the white, blue and red, but they've also got the St. Andrew's Cross for the Navy as their uh, uh, naval flag. And I've seen him in a harbor too. So without a doubt, Russia's best leader has got to be Vladimir Putin. And the reason why he's hated in the West is not because he used to be communist, it's because he is Christian and he's against LGBT standards. And this brings another interesting point about why Biden's won the worst presence of all time, and that is that Biden was part of the Obama administration that pushed the LGBTQ agenda. Do you know that Ukraine, before 2014, had laws against LGBTQ grooming, uh, perversion and so on, and to protect children? When America, under the State Department, put over $5 billion into uh, buying up and starting new opposition parties, new uh, media companies, in order to overthrow the elected government of Ukraine, uh, the new government that came in 2014 immediately started passing legislation promoting LGBTQ perversion. Now, interestingly, um, none other than the head of MI6, the British MI6 chief, the one who would have been M in the James Bond films, uh, he sent out a tweet recently saying, we must fight in Ukraine because this war is about what distinguishes us from Russia and our values which which uh, are at the core of our, our identity. Now you're thinking, what's he going to say? Democracy, freedom, Christianity, civilization? No, he said LGBTQ rights. So the head of MI6 in a recent tweet said, at the core of the battle, at the core of our values, what distinguishes us from Vladimir Putin's Russia is the LGBTQ rights. And 
This was confirmed by Archbishop, by the uh, Patriarch of the Russian Orthodox Church, Kirill, who said, America wages genocidal warfare against anyone who will not have a gay pride march. What news media sources would you recommend as alternatives to the prevalent propaganda of the mainstream networks? Well, anything would be better than the Clinton News Network and the Bolshevik Broadcasting Corporation, Sly Magazine, uh, Newspeak and Useless News and World Reports. I mean, those are fake news, to quote Donald Trump. I mean, fake news is a good description. They're as fake as it comes, toxic and poisonous. Um, I like Tucker Carlson, and I must say Tucker Carlson on X is speaking even uh, better than anything before uh, that he could do when he was in Fox News, which is a bit of a um, straddling uh, they, both sides of the fence. Fox News is no longer that trustworthy, even though they still have some good individuals on it. Uh, but mostly I think news media is moving off the cable networks away from the so-called mainstream, which is now becoming lamestream, uh, because they're all saying the same thing. Uh, I was intrigued by a recent visitor from Canada. He said to me, because he had once been a policeman in Rhodesia, he said, you know, you get 10 Rhodesians in a room and you've got at least 10 different opinions. He said, the frightening thing is you could be in a gathering in Canada and you get 10 or 20 people in a room and you've only got one opinion. And it's all the same narrative you get in the state media. And it's, you know, it's exactly what old Justin Trudeau or Justin Castro is saying these days. So um, I think... Any alternative is better. I wouldn't go mainstream media at all. Forget what SATV, BBC, or any state media or cable network saying. And you know, in America, all news networks are basically owned by six different people who've all got the same agenda, it seems. So when you listen to what um, Alexander Solzhenitsyn said, he said, in the Iron Curtain, behind the Iron Curtain, the communist world, the media speaks with one voice. But he says that doesn't surprise us. We have only one political party and they control the media. So that doesn't surprise us. But he said, now I'm in the West, the free, independent West. And your media also speaks with one voice. The same voice I heard behind the Iron Curtain. Who controls the media in the West? And Alexander Solzhenitsyn, uh, making that speech, commit the unforgivables and he questioned the integrity of the media without fear or favor. But uh, all of news that's fit to print, they say, but I call it fake news 24-7. And... Solzhenitsyn warned us against forgetting God and uh, being deceived. I think any alternative media is to be preferred to the mainstream media. So, you know, whether it's Tucker Carlson, whether you're listening to The Blaze, or whether you're World Net Daily, um, we've started a website here in South called Henry Morton Stanley School of Christian Journalism, remembering the greatest journalist of all time, and I hope and pray that we'll have more people um, supporting the independent journalists with independent thought. We've got magazines in South Africa like Joy Magazine, Yoich Tejskriff, and um, Devoted Magazine, and they all deserve support. If you go onto the Frontline Mission SA.org website, you'll see we've got links to a whole range of sources, and that includes to IDOP Africa, www.idop, short for International Day of Prayer, idop-africa.org, uh, and then that we've got reports on different countries in Africa where the church has been persecuted and links to missions to the persecuted church around the world, whether it's Voice of the Martyrs, Open Doors and others that we work together with to speak up for the persecuted church. And it's so important that we think about the persecuted church and think about these uh, different people who are being targeted uh, by evil governments, which in many cases are funded by some of the worst presidents in history like Obama, Clinton and Biden. Thank you, Dr. Hammond, and thank you, hearers, for joining us tonight. 
This is Ryan Underwood in the studio with From the Frontline discussing how we identify and evaluate the worst presidents in history. God bless and good night.